Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be uh, in, in a place of worship today. We thank you, Jesus, for Bibles that we can open. And, uh, Father, we can see the spiritual realities that we desperately need to know. Uh, God, thank you that uh, you've given us clear instruction about every area of our life, everything from uh, how to be married to how to parent children to how to, um, to work in a, in, a, in, a, in a right way with our employer. Uh, Father, you've given us instruction about our personal lives, about um, how to forgive and how to speak truth. And Father, I, I pray that, that you would enable us by your strength to do those things, to live that out, to be the people that you've called us to be. God, we don't, we don't want to sin. Uh, God, we don't want to live in a way that dishonors you and that harms ourselves and others. Uh, God, we pray for victory. Uh, We pray for victory in this battle. We pray that the Spirit of God would give us power and strength and grace. Father, please teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If I can take you way back to the first three chapters of Ephesians, uh, uh, we learned and we've reviewed over and over and over again these incredible truths that God told us about every born-again believer, that when you come to know Christ as your king, when, you, when you're united to him in faith, there's some spectacular things that happen in every born-again believer. There's things like being adopted in the family of God. Uh, there's things like uh, being forgiven of your sins, being joined to Jesus Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit, all, all these incredible things. And those incredible things that happen and inside of a believer, uh, we've seen in chapters 4, 5, and 6, they work themselves out on the outside of a believer, okay? So if someone's genuinely changed on the inside, there's going to be a visible change on the outside, all right? No more of this, well, I've got Jesus and, and he lives inside of me, but you just can't tell it, you know? Or I hold all my religion privately, you know? Uh-uh, not, not according to the Bible. If it's inside, it's going to come outside. If it's inside of you, it's going to be worked out in the way that you, you live out your marriage and, and your parents parenting and your job and and your your relationship skills, there's going to be a visible change, a transformation in your life. And some of the things that we've looked at in chapters 4, 5, and 6 in the last couple months are putting off the old man, putting on the new. Remember we looked at that over and over again? We looked at putting off anger, putting on reconciliation and forgiveness, putting off falsehood, putting on truth, not letting the sun go down in your anger, being filled with the Holy Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, children obeying their parents, fathers not provoking their children to anger, obeying and respecting your boss, doing your work joyfully with a good will no matter who is watching. All of those things are part of living out what God has put in every born-again believer. Now, the big question we want to ask today is why is that so hard because it's hard isn't it 
You know, when we, when we embrace these incredible realities that would happen, you know, we, we believe them. We believe that the Spirit of God lives inside of me, and I'm forgiven of my sins, and I'm joined to Jesus Christ, and all these great things. I'm adopted into the family of God. And, and so that's living. It's pushing out into my life, and it's beginning to change the way that I relate with people, and the way that I talk, and the way that I think. And, and we know that that's happening, but there's also this other factor at work that says, man, this is really hard. And it is hard, isn't it? I, I bet you anything, there were, there were people in this room that had the experience of, of hearing, hearing a word from God about you know, wives submitting your husband and going out in the minivan and, and driving out of the parking lot and, and man, you know what you're supposed to do and you know, but he's just so irritating you know, and, and, and you just, why is this so hard? And you know, husband's loving your wives and, and you, you want to, but man you're just in this foul mood and you don't know why you know, and, and it's just, why, why is this so hard and kids obeying their parents and fathers not provoking your children to anger? I bet you anything, somebody didn't get to the railroad tracks before they were about ready to strangle little Johnny in the back seat after that sermon, you know, and just why is there this pressure? Do you, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Is anybody else or is it just our family? You know, you, you want to do what, what God's calling you to do and you know that he's put that in you. But at the same time, as God is working and, and as, as, it hap- as it's happening inside of you, there's also this resistance in there. There's also just this difficulty of the Christian life, difficulty of keeping your mind where it needs to be and difficulty of, of, of being faithful to God and being in your Bible. I mean, how many of you had the experience that you know, man, this is life to me. This is life. I need this. I, I, I need to be in the Word of God. But yet at the same time, there's also this, this, why is that so hard? Why is it so hard for me to get up early? Why is it so hard for me to turn off the TV? Why is it so hard to be a person of prayer? Why is it so hard to carve out just 30 minutes, an hour a day? Why is that hard for us? Why, why, is, why is that so difficult? Okay. And Paul's really finishing the book of Ephesians, describing the opposition that we face in living out the Christian life. Now, let me just say this right away, though. Opposition, but not defeat, okay? God's going to do it, okay? God's, God's going to work in us, and He is going to change us, and He is, amen? He is, okay? But, but, but answering the question of why is it so difficult, why, why is it so hard sometimes to do what God's calling you to do, even right after you leave church, it seems like there's opposition, and Paul answers that question by saying, look, you got to realize that you are being opposed by a supernatural force, there is a real spiritual battle. And your enemy is not with people. Paul makes that very clear. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So many times we want to pin it on somebody else, don't we? I mean, we want to pin it on, you know what? I can live the Christian life, but, but my spouse, you know, they're always in the way. And they're just not what they need to be. And, and, they, and so they get me all out of whack. Or my kids, I'm having some trouble. Or my boss. Or, or my, no, 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 no. We just looked at who we're supposed to be in those relationships. That's not the problem, okay? Now, that, that it's hard. understand that. But, but, but living out our Christian life, Paul says, no, the, your opposition doesn't come from flesh and blood, but it comes from the devil. It comes from a supernatural force of demons that are organized. Uh, and, and Paul says, look, that's real. Satan is real. Demons are real. They work 24 seven. You know, they've done so for thousands of years to oppose the people and the work of God. Now, as we think about that, I, I want to avoid two extremes. Number one, we need to avoid the extreme of blaming everything on the devil because that, that's really not realistic, okay? 
First of all, the devil is not omnipresent, okay? He's not everywhere at once. He's not like God. God is everywhere at once, okay? God, God's that big, all right? The devil is a creative being who can be at one place at one time at any given moment, okay? And I really doubt that he's messing with me. Just, just honestly, I mean, he's probably got bigger things to do than, than mess with me, okay? So, so on the one hand, we, we need to avoid just blaming everything on the devil. You know, anytime I have a bad thought, anytime I have a bad day, anytime I have a bad attitude, you know, there's some people that, you know, their car won't start, man, it's the devil, it's the devil, it's the devil, it's the devil, okay? We need to avoid that extreme because that's really theologically not accurate, okay? And also, there are lots of other reasons why we struggle. It's not just the devil. The devil, I think, works into kind of all of that. The, the supernatural opposition works into all of it. But, but let's not discount our own sinful flesh, amen? Do, do, we, do we understand that? I mean, we're, we, are, we are transformed and we are new in Jesus Christ, but the old us still resides. And that old flesh, if you feed it, remember what Romans talks about? It talks about starving the flesh. And if you don't do that, if you feed the flesh, if you give the flesh opportunity, then from within you, you're going to be tempted. From within you, you're, you're, you're going you're to be uh, given to do the wrong thing, okay? And to not follow God. So there's other reasons. that There's a sinful world strategy, okay? The Bible calls it the world, a world system. In 1 John chapter 2, Verse 15, um, John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. The Bible very clearly says, look, there's this, there's this anti-God world system, this, this soup that we live in, that we breathe, that's all around us all the time, that, 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 that opposes God and draws us away from God. So there's other reasons why this is hard, Okay? But, on the other hand of that, okay, the other extreme I think we, we want to avoid is, is not recognizing that there is a real force that opposes us. And, and you know, I, I think it's okay to point that out in your life. Not only is I think it's, do I think it's okay, I think it's biblical to recognize and appropriately identify, maybe even label that... That that's real, okay? Now, let me give you some examples. When, when Jesus is talking to Peter, okay, in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus is talking to Peter, Peter's talking to Jesus, and, 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 and Jesus reveals that he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to be killed, and he's going to die for the sins of humanity. And in verse uh, 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And then in verse 23, Jesus turns to Peter and he says this, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, now who is Jesus talking to there? He's talking to Peter. Peter's the guy standing right in front of him. Peter's the guy that's just said, Hey, you know, this is never going to happen. You're not going to go to the cross. We're not going to let you die. Okay? But what does Jesus recognize? Jesus recognizes that though the words are coming out of Peter's mouth, there's a satanic influence behind those words. There's a satanic strategy behind the words. Okay? The, the, the whole thrust of Peter saying, you're not going to go to the cross, Jesus recognizes that comes from somebody behind, behind Peter. Somebody working through Peter. Okay? In some way. We're not sure how that works. But what I'm telling you here is that Jesus himself recognized there are certain things that are absolutely from the devil. Okay. And, and we should label them appropriately. And I, I think in our lives, there are certain things, there are certain temptations, there are certain thoughts that go through our head. There are certain, you know, uh, images that go through. Our, I mean, and we should, we should label those. We should say, look, I, I know exactly what that is. That's from the devil. 
Okay? That's evil. That's demonic. Maybe it's not the devil in our case. Maybe it's a demon. We read here of a host of demons. Uh, verse 12 talks about not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, present darkness, spiritual force of evil in heavenly places. There's almost an organized strategy by the devil and by his demons to, to, to oppose the work of God and to oppose the people of God. In Acts chapter 5, here's another example. Acts chapter 5, there's these two church members, Ananias and Sapphira. They sell a piece of property. They, they want everybody to think they're really generous, but they're not really giving all the money to the church. They're holding back some for themselves, but they're acting like they are. And so they go up in front of everybody and they put this big show on. It's hypocrisy. And you know what Peter says about that? Acts chapter 5 verse 3, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Do you, do you see what Peter does? Peter recognizes, look, this kind of hypocrisy, this kind of thing that could threaten the church so severely, this is from the devil. And Peter just calls it out. He says, look, I know exactly what this is. That's, from, that's demonic. That's satanic. In James chapter 4, here, here's a command, and there's another one in 1 Peter, but I'll read the one in James. In James chapter 4, verse 7, uh, the Bible tells us, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, now we're told to resist the devil. Okay, now how are we, how we going to do that unless we pin down what we're resisting? Right? I mean, you can't obey that command unless you pin down there are certain things in your life that are, that are demonic. There are certain things in your life that are from the devil. There are certain things in your life that come from the pit of Hades. All right? There are certain ways of thinking, certain ways of acting, certain temptations in your life. And you need to recognize those things are evil. Okay? They're demonic. They're destructive. And, and I think it's perfectly biblically appropriate to call them out as such. You should see certain things in your life as demonically aggressive against you, okay? And it's a per- perfectly appropriate to diagnose them as such, okay? If I, if I go downstairs in the middle of the night to get a drink, and I turn on the light, and man, boom, there's this guy in my house. He's got a pipe, okay? He's, got a, he's holding the pipe, and he's holding the, uh, a, a gunny sack, all right? Now, if, if, I, if, I, if I miss misunderstand who he is, okay? If I misunderstand the situation and I think, wow, the guy's got a pipe and, and a bag. He must be the plumber. He's here to fix the girl's sink, you know? Man, praise God. I didn't know you guys worked in the middle of the night, okay? If, if I do that, I, I, I am naming something what it is not, okay? I, I'm assuming something is something that it's not. And if I do that, I'm liable to get my skull split open, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer him a coat because I think he's here to fix the girl's drain. Really, he's here to hurt my family and to destroy my life. Okay, and, and in the same way, we need to appropriately recognize there are certain things in our life that are demonic. Okay? Certain ways of living and acting, certain thoughts, man, they, 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 it's, and it's all over. Every time I hear somebody who, who's leaving their spouse and saying something like, well, I just know God wants me to be happy. Man, that's the devil. I mean, that, that's a demonic twist on everything that's true. I mean, whenever I hear people say things like, well, you know what? I, I know the Bible says to forgive them, but I never will. Man, that's demonic. You know, there are certain things that we need to to label what they are. I'm not saying the person is a demon. I'm not even saying they're possessed by a demon. But I'm saying what they're saying comes from demons. What they're saying is today, it's evil. Okay, it's evil. Okay, now however that happened, whether it was whispered in their ear, whether it's their flesh being taken advantage of by Satan, whether I I don't know. I I don't know and I don't even want to guess that. I don't think we ought to be saying there's a demon behind bush and going too far with this thing. But I do see in the Bible that the Bible does that. 
There, there, are, there are certain things that it, that it clearly labels and says, look, that's demonic. I think there are churches that are literally being ripped apart by division. And you know what? Everybody points at a person. Have you ever seen that happen before? You know what? It's so-and-so's father. It's, it's that organ, you know? Why did, or it's the drums, you know? There's been churches that split apart and everybody blames the drums, you know? It's not the drums. It's not the organ. It's not the color of the carpet. It's not some, some lady that works in the Sunday school class. You know what it is when a church gets split apart? It's demonic, is it not? I mean, it's division. I mean, the Bible talks over and over again about division and about dissensions and about the flesh. And it always attributes it to evil. And, and as a church, we need to be smart enough to realize, you know what? We're in a battle. And if our church is being ripped apart, it's probably a bigger deal than we got drums or a violin or an organ or purple carpet instead of gray carpet. None of that stuff really matters. The issue is, the issue is we're under attack. So let's get things straight, okay? The Christian life is hard because, because verse 12 says, we wrestle Again, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay? I'm not asking you to be some crazy person that's casting out demons from the the fire hydrant. No, we don't want to be that. That's silly. But I am asking you to realize there's attack against your life. Okay? And it's real. It was real in the Bible. It's real today. You know what? Those demons didn't go anywhere. You know, all those demons that Jesus cast out in the Bible, you know, they, they didn't all retire. You know, they're not all in Cabo San Lucas, you know, on the beach. I mean, they're, they're still working, okay? They don't die. They're not, they're not human beings. They're still here. And they still hate God. And you're the people of God, and they still hate you. And we see plenty of evidence all around us of people ruining their lives to say, you know what? This deal is real. So it says, we wrestle, we wrestle. You know, that's a great word, isn't it? We, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And it's a word that, that literally means wrestling. It's kind of a hand-to-hand combat thing. You know, there's a couple things. I, I was a wrestler. My family was big in wrestling. And, and there's a couple things about wrestling that set it apart from a lot of other sports. First of all, you know, it, it is intensely personal, Okay. You know, I mean, when, you, when you're playing ball, I mean, hopefully your attitude is, you know, I, I don't have anything against you. You know, I just, I, you're trying to shoot the basket and I'm trying to stop you. I'm trying to get the ball out of your basket into my basket. You know, I'm trying to get the ball across, across my, our, our end zone. You're trying to get it, you know, in yours. I mean, there's just, it's, it's a game and, and you're playing, okay? But when you wrestle, I mean, it's, it's somewhat intensely more personal, okay? Because when you wrestle, that guy is trying to, to take you to the mat on your back cause sufficient pain to where you'll put your put your shoulders down okay i mean it, it's in a, it's a personal deal and not only is it a personal deal but it is a continual thing one of the things about wrestling is that there is no breaks okay there there there, there is no letting up you know in, in baseball if you're the left fielder and the ball gets hit to right field you know hey just watch basically you know maybe back up the uh, you know one of the basemen or something like that but basically there's not much for you to do you know if, you, if you're on the left side of the offensive line and, and, and the ball's sweeping around the right i mean you, you go off the line and you do your thing but there's really not much counting on you you know i mean it, the play's going the other way okay in wrestling you can't let up ever okay you can't let up ever you can't let your guard down you can't get careless you you have to employ all your strength and all your energy all the time and if you don't you're done and, and in a similar way in the christian life you can't let up. I mean, it's foolish to think, you know what? I can drop out of church for a while. I can drop out of my prayer life for a while. I can drop out of the scriptures for a while and I'll be fine. You won't be fine. Okay. You, you won't be fine. It's not going to be okay. 
You can't afford to be careless with your spiritual life. The Bible says we wrestle. We're in hand-to-hand combat. We're in a battle. And the battle is not with a physical presence, okay? And listen, it's not even with the difficult circumstances of your life. I mean, some people really think, you know, the battle is with, with my family sick or, or my, my, my spouse has cancer. The battle is... is um, my, my car is constantly broke down. The battle is I have a horrible job that I hate. Or the battle is that we're up to our eyeballs in debt. Or, or, or the battle is some, some, some problem in my marriage. It, it's not that. Okay, it's really not. I know those are hard situations in your life. But that's really not the battle. Okay, the battle is not winning that particular situation. That, that's not the battle. The battle is for faith. It is always for faith. The, the thing that has helped me more, if I can just give you one thing that, that's helped me from this passage in my life more than anything else, is just realizing all the time, every day, the battle is for me to trust Jesus. That's where it's at. You know, no matter what, what kind of hard thing him and I are going through or what kind of hard thing my kids and I are going through or what kind of hard thing we're going through at church, those are never the real issue, okay? Those are things we have to handle and those are things we, got, we, we have to tackle. But the real issue in my life every day is my closeness to Jesus Christ. That is the battle. That's the issue. That, that's the thing, okay? You know, you look, at the great, you look at the greatest battle of all time. The greatest battle of all time was fought in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. Why do I say it's the greatest battle? Because there's been more casualties. There was more at stake in that battle than any other in human history. Through that battle, everybody who's ever died, died because of that. Okay? It's a big battle. And, and you, know, you know, as you look at Genesis chapter 3, you know what? The serpent was not looking to smash Eve's face in. You, you ever realize that? He's not trying to sink his fangs into her neck. He, he's not trying to inject poison into her. There's no knives, swords, spears, clubs, guns, cannons, none of that. Okay? You know why? Because the battle was not about killing Adam and Eve outright. The battle was for their faith. I mean, I mean, human history hung on, on, on the faith of Adam and Eve. And the attack was on their trust in God's word. God had said, eat of the tree and you'll die. And the whole attack was, you won't die if you eat of that tree. You can't trust God. God doesn't have your best interest in mind. You've got to think of yourself. Look how good it looks. This is going to make you what? The whole battle revolved around whether or not they trusted God. And I don't believe it's really any different with you and I. Is it? I mean, whatever you're going through, whatever hard thing in your life, really the battle is, are you going to trust the Word of God? Are you going to be faithful to God? You look at King David. He had some great battles in his life, didn't he? The greatest one, we would often say, Goliath, right? I mean, that, that, that wasn't the greatest battle that David ever fought, okay? I mean, here he is, a little kid. On, you know, that's the way we picture him anyway. He probably was more, more like a teenager. On the battlefield with this giant, you know, he's got, he's got a sword and a javelin and a, and a shield and an armor bearer. David's got a slingshot, okay? What a great battle, right? That wasn't the greatest battle in David's life. I believe the greatest battle in David's life was probably more like from, from when, he, when he stood on his rooftop palace watching a beautiful woman bathing a few blocks from him. That was probably the greatest battle of David's life. And David stood his ground with Goliath. He stood his ground with the Philistines. But David crumbled under the deception of adultery and sensuality. And the losses to his life were horrendous. You see, the the battle is for our faith. Okay? What is victory in this battle? 
Victory is loving and treasuring and trusting Jesus, being strong in your faith. What is defeat in this battle? Defeat is unbelief. Defeat is when you give your life to something other than Christ. Defeat is when you love the world and not God. Defeat is when you waver in your faith, okay? So, so, so that, that's it. I mean, that, that's, that's what we're up against. And everything depends in our life on our closeness to Jesus Christ. What is our strategy in this battle? Let me just tell you right quick. Our strategy is stay close to Christ. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. What matters in this battle is your closeness, your connection, your abiding in Jesus. Remember in John chapter 15 where Jesus says, Abide in me as a branch abides in a vine. You know, you can't do anything unless you abide in me. I mean, that, that, that's the same principle here. That what matters is your connection to Christ, okay? That's what wins the day every day. And we have to remain in a, in a close relationship with Christ, treasuring Christ, worshiping Christ, honoring Christ. And that's how we gain strength. As we go ahead, and we're not going to have time to do this today, but as we look at the other pieces of armor, you know, Paul starts telling us, put on this armor, you know, put on the, the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the uh, readiness of, of the gospel and, and the shield of faith and, and the sword of the Spirit and the helmet of salvation. All of those armor pieces are, are armor that keeps us close to Christ. They're, they're, it's not stuff that's supposed to bust Satan's head, you know, I mean... That's not the battle we fight. The battle we fight is to stand firm in your faith with the strength of the Lord. Okay? Over and over again in this passage, it's going to say, Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. And the strength is to help you to stand firm. Okay? To stand firm. To be unmoved in your faith and your connection to Jesus Christ. Be strong in the Lord. you got to do a lot of hard things in your life. And the Bible is saying you got to be strong with the strength that God gives you. Now, remember, this is a different strength than being able to pick up something heavy. Okay, That's the kind of strength to be able to run a long ways or ride your bike a long ways or swim a long way. That's one kind of strength that's really not important in the spiritual battle. Okay, In the spiritual battle, there's an inner strength. Remember, we talked about it in, the, in Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 16, you may remember this from a couple months ago. Uh, Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay? Your inner being. On the inside. See, there's one kind of strength where a guy can lift something really heavy. Or pound somebody's face in. Or, or run a long ways. Or throw a jab. Whatever. Okay? But there's another kind of strength that allows a person to do the right thing even when it's hard. And to tell the truth even when there's going to be consequences. To love their wife even when their wife doesn't love them. To, to respect their husband even when he's a jerk. You see, that's a different kind of strength, isn't it? To parent kids that are disrespectful. Or to obey a mom and dad that may, may, may be off base in their spiritual life. I mean, that takes a different kind of strength. To be able to stand up at work and, and, and to be a man of integrity around a bunch of people who aren't. To be able to resist temptation, that takes a different kind of strength. And the Bible is very clear, that strength comes from Jesus, okay? It comes from Jesus. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Jesus is a mountain of strength. He's an ocean of everything that you need. Jesus Christ lives. He's not in the grave. He's not in the tomb. He lives at the throne of God. He has infinite power to enable you to do everything God calls you to do. There's strength in Christ to help you to love the unlovable and respect the unrespectable and obey and resist temptation and lead your family. 
But it comes in Christ, okay? That's the only way you get it, is by being connected to Jesus. And that's what Paul is urging us to do, to be strong in the Lord, to put on these pieces of armor that keep us close to Christ. There's a great story in in Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let me me give you the the setting here, okay? I I think this is the lowest, maybe, I don't know, uh, maybe after he fell with Bathsheba, there were some lower points, but... Um, this is one of the lowest times in David's life. And let, let me give you a setting here. Everybody has rejected him, okay? Uh, his, his country, Israel, has rejected him. His king has rejected His king wants to kill him, okay? So he's gone and he's had to hide in a foreign nation, the Philistines, okay? Now, what David does is he's a, he's a warrior, all right? And his men are warriors. And so he goes out to battle with the Philistines, okay? He gets out to battle with them. They don't want him. They all kind of have a meeting. They're like, man, we can't trust this guy. This guy's no good. Tell him to go home right now. He's got to go home, okay? We don't even want you around. We don't even want you in the background. You leave early in the morning, okay? So, so he's got to go home. So, so his country's rejected him. Uh, the other countries around him have rejected him. He goes back. They, they travel three days back with his men. They get to their city. And, and, and the Amalekites, I think it is. I think it's the Amalekites. They've come, yeah. Amalekites have come in. They've raided the city. They've taken everything. And they've kidnapped all the women and children. Okay, so, so now David's not only, he's not only an enemy of everybody, but now he's lost everything, including his family. And his own men start talking about stoning him. In verse 6 it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. His own guys, all right? So just imagine, I mean, I, you and I have never experienced this. I mean, I've always usually got one person that likes me, at least one, okay? David in this one, he's got nobody. Everybody is, is, is against him. They're, they're talking about, they're so angry, they were talking about killing him. He's lost his family, he's lost his wives, he's lost his kids. And it says, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Man, there's this emotional just collapse in their life. And everything's just falling apart in David's life. Notice what, I love this, this last phrase, okay? But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Isn't that great? You ever been at that point? Just kind of an emotional, everything's wrong. Everything's falling apart. You've made decisions and wrecked your life. You know, you got this guilt because you've wrecked other people's lives. And that's where David's at. You know, why, why, why did these guys, why were their wives and children gone? Because David, David's the one that led them with the Philistines. Probably a stupid decision in the first place. You know, I mean, he's got all this on his shoulders, you know, that I've wrecked my life. I've wrecked other people's lives. Nobody wants me. You know, everybody's rejected. We got nowhere to go. We got no home. They're bitter of soul. They're mourning. And what does David do? It says he strengthened himself in the Lord is God. What is that saying? It's saying that there's strength in God to do whatever you need to do. What did David do? Man, he grabbed onto his relationship with God and through the promises of God and the assurance of God and the strength of God, God gave him what he needed. Long story short, they take off after the Amalekites. They catch them, or part of David's men catch them. They catch them, they kill them all. They get all, every, not, not one person was lost. Everybody's wife, everybody's child, and they got all the spoil, okay? A great picture of what I think Philippians 4.13 is saying. I can do all things through what? Through Christ who strengthens me. You know, a lot of times we want to quote that verse, but we don't want to realize that, you know what that verse implies? That verse implies that I, I'm, I, I'm keeping a close connection to Jesus. 
okay? If I want to be able to do what God's called me to do, then that's only going to happen if, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm connected to Christ. Again, that's what all the pieces of armor are all about, is you keeping a connection with Jesus Christ. You keeping close to Christ in your relationship with Him. Now, some of you may be thinking to yourself, man, I'm really glad the pastor is preaching about this sermon because I, I know someone right across the room who's really struggling in their faith and they're really under attack and, man, they're, they're, their life's falling apart and I just feel, feel really sorry for them and I'm going to pray for them right now. I want you to do that. That's a, that's a good thing. Um, that's, that's awesome. Please, please pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling. But I want you also to realize this is coming to you. It's coming to you. How do we know that? Well, no, notice what verse 13 says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you, may be able, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. That you may be able to withstand in the... What does that imply? That, that implies several things. Okay? N- number one, it implies that you shouldn't wait for everything to collapse around you before you put on your armor. Okay? That's not a good idea. You know, the soldier that waits until he gets a gunshot in his chest to put on his Kevlar, it's a little too late a lot of times for that. Isn't it? Man, don't, please. Man, I deal with this every week. Uh, please, don't, don't wait. Please don't wait until your marriage falls apart completely before you put on your armor. Don't wait for that. Don't, don't wait until your kid's 18 and rebellious and has no use for God or for you or for anything else. To start thinking about maybe we ought to do family devotions. Maybe we ought to read the word of God together. Don't wait for that. What he's telling us here is there's going to be an evil day. (laughs) Okay. And I I know sometimes and some of you have such stellar perfect lives. You know. Really. I mean some of you do. I mean I look at you like man. uh, I I, I talked to two couples in the last couple weeks. And they were just telling me how, how um, how how incredibly easy their marriages are. Uh, two couples. It was like in, in, in like a two-week period. And they were just telling me, man, I, you, know, man I just, you know, Pastor, I know, you know, that sometimes some people have, but man, ours is just so easy, you know? And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's cool. God's blessed. Oh, by the way, there's going to be an evil day, okay? Uh, it's coming, all right? Uh, unless you die, die young, all right? <laughs> you die young, maybe you can get by with that. But it, it, if you don't, guess what? There's, there's going to be hard things that happen in your life. It's coming. There's going to be an evil day. And don't wait to put on your armor until the evil day is here. There's going to be periods in your life where it's harder to follow Jesus. And there's going to be periods in your life where it's easier to follow Jesus. How how do you know when there's going to be? No clue. No clue. Let me just give you a personal testimony. Uh, I've been at Lincoln 13 and a half, going on 14 years, coming up in January. This last year has been the hardest year of my ministry for me personally. Now, why? I have no clue. Church is doing awesome. Church, church, this church is a blessing. Man, the people in it, I mean, they're, they're, every week, my family, we sit down and we talk about somebody in this church that just we're so thankful for them. I mean, I'm surrounded by incredible people, okay? It's not the church. My, fa- my family's doing great. And my daughters are mission-minded. My son, he's coming along in his faith. And my little girls are a blast. I mean, yeah, life is great. I mean, why? I don't know. I don't know. I have no explanation why this year has been the most intensely difficult for me in my ministry. I don't know. I don't know. 
It's actually, I'm kind of coming out of that. The spring was probably the worst. I, I don't know. I still, I don't know why. I don't know. And I, I, sometimes I don't know that we will know. You know, sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes it's business. Sometimes it's things crashing our life. Sometimes I just think it's an attack, you know? I mean, I, sometimes I just think there's this, there is this... There is this demonic strategy. There are these demons who, who, who are uh, divided out amongst the world. And sometimes I just think it's an attack. And we, I don't know why we can't see it coming. But man, it's just intensely difficult. And, and the Bible is saying, look, you need to put on your armor because that day's coming. You're given warning right here. Okay? So that when it happens, don't, don't, don't go back and say, man, God, what'd you do? Why, where did this come? I don't understand. Maybe he's not real. No, he's re- He told you it's coming. Get your armor on now. I mean, I think also, we, we need to be humble during the calm times. <laughs> don't you think that? Uh, when, when things are all good, and, it, and, and there are, there have been, there have been seasons in my Christian life. Man, I mean, it was just, it was like everything was easy, you know? I mean, prayer time was easy and Bible reading is just getting all kinds of stuff and, you know, and witnessing and people, people, I've had, I've had seasons in my life where people come in my office, you know, hi, my name's so-and-so and, you know, I, I've been hungering for God and, you know, can you tell me about the gospel? I mean, I've had that happen. I mean, wow, you know, I mean, just these great, these great encouraging times. Hey, during those times, be careful that you don't look around. And say, man, I just don't know why everybody else can't get it, you know. Y'all need to come look at me. <laughs> man, be careful of that, okay? Because there's going to be an evil day for you. In Luke chapter 4, G- Jesus is tempted 40 days in the wilderness. And after that ends, there's this really important statement, I think, that's, that's made. In verse 13, it says, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. Okay, listen. Until an opportune time. Even in Jesus' life, there were these, these intense times of temptation. And then what's it say? It says the devil left. But, but he didn't leave, leave. He's coming back, and he's coming back at an opportune time. That's why it's really important that you and I understand that the devil has schemes, okay? He, he's looking for a time when you are weak, when you are susceptible. That's why you put your armor on, by the way. That's why you stay in the Word of God. That's why you stay in prayer. That's why you put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's why you have the helmet of salvation. That's why you, you shod your feet with the gospel, okay, with a readiness to share the gospel. That's why you do that, because you know he's, the attack is coming back, okay? But, but look, at, look at what this says. He says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, now the implication there is, the devil has schemes. He has a strategy. He has a certain way of working. And you and I should know it. Okay? You and I should know it. Now, how, how should we know it? We should. 2 Corinthians 2.11. Listen. Uh, he says, so that, uh, he's talking about forgiveness. And he says, you need to forgive, church. And then verse 11 says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Or I think the, the old New King James said, his schemes. Okay? So right there, the Bible says, we shouldn't be ignorant of the way that Satan works. So real quick, we're, we're almost done. We don't have a lot of time, but so how does he work? Well, let's just give an overview. John eight forty four. what does it say? It says the devil is a liar and the father of lies. You can count on it day after day. He's going to lie to you, okay? Be ready for that. Be ready to, to realize there are going to be things that come into your life. Supposed truths that are spoken to you, things that pop into your head, things you read about, things you watch on TV, and it will be a lie. 
Okay? You have to be ready for that. You are going to be bombarded with lies in your life. And you have to be ready. How do you get ready? Number one, you know the truth. Okay? You got to know the truth. That's why you're in your Bible. If you don't know the truth, you're not going to spot the lie. And you're going to buy it. And your family's going to be hurt. Because you bought this lie, this way of living, this way of spending your money, this way of thinking about marriage, this way of thinking about relationships, this way of thinking about God and the church, that's wrong, it's a lie, and you bought it. Why? Because you didn't know the truth, okay? So number one, he's going to lie to you, okay? Not only is he going to lie to you, but he's going to lie to you specifically about God's character. Remember Genesis chapter 3? Remember the, 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 the temptation there? But the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. You'll be like God. knowing good. What, what's he doing? He's saying, look, God's a liar. He doesn't say those words, but that's what he's saying, isn't he? See, God told you that, 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 that you would die. You won't die. But when you eat of it, man, you're going to be a rock star. You know, you're going you're gonna to be Hollywood. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna know things. You're going to be beautiful. It's going to be good for you. It's a lie. It's a lie about God's character. Revelation 12, 10, Zechariah uh, 3, talk about Satan being the accuser of the brethren. Okay, he's going to do that. You've got to understand, he's going to, you got to understand, and some of you are going to identify with this. Man, I have felt this in my life. You go through periods of your life, you get knocked down, and man, there's this constant, relentless voice that says, you messed up. You're a failure. Don't even get up. God's not even interested in you. You've blown it so big, just stay down. You ever hear that voice? Anybody else? Just me? You ever hear that? Don't don't even don't try to minister. Don't don't try to don't 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 go to that church. And all those people they know they know who you are. You're not good enough to go in there. And I have people tell me that, that that's what's going on in their head all the time. You're not good enough to go. Those people won't accept you. First Corinthians seven five. This is kind of a weird one, but uh, sexual temptation. Um, in First Corinthians seven, he's talking about husbands and wives actually. And he's talking about um, um, being giving in your sexual relationship. And in verse 5, he says, Do not deprive one another except perhaps uh, by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There are abundant temptations in the area of sexuality. If you don't handle your what you look at, um, how you think about sex... Um, how you talk about it, how, how you're biblically grounded in what it is and what it's for, there are incredible temptations that will come. Satan will use that as an opportunity. Unforgiveness, huge one, huge one. That, that passage I read you in, first, in 2 Corinthians uh, 2, 10 and 11. Uh, Paul says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. He's talking about this guy that's hurt the church. He says, what I, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. Paul is saying, look, if we don't forgive this guy, we know what Satan's going to do. And you know what? If, if you have unforgiveness in your heart and you harbor it, Satan's going to use that. He's going to use that and he's going to hurt you over it. Hypocrisy, Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Remember Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. They're pretending to be somebody they weren't. What does Peter say? He says, Satan's filled your heart. All kind of, you know, you know what? Let me just say this. Anything that hinders the gospel, anything that brings division to the body of Christ is a satanic attack. And, and the key is don't give him a foothold in your life. You know what a foothold is, right? If you're, if you're climbing a rock face, 
There's times, uh, our kids from Red Cloud, they, they understand this. There's times where you get to a spot you can't go any further. You know, you, you, can't, you can't go. And, and the reason is you've got no hold, you know. You got, you, but, but if you can find even sometimes just one, just, just, a, just, a, just a crack in the rock. If you can find one place to get your toe in, to give you a little bit of leverage, you can make it. You can, you can, you can scale the whole thing. Okay, Satan's looking for one thing in your life. If he can, if he can just... If he can just get a toehold in it. In Ephesians, remember, we, we looked at this not too long ago about anger. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. See, he's looking. Unforgiveness is one of those things, isn't it? And you, you, you say to yourself, I'm, I'm not forgiven. I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm going to nurse my anger. You just gave him a toehold in your life. He's got a place to stand and he will not be inactive. Sexual immorality, same deal. You open the door, you give him a toehold. Bitterness, pride, hypocrisy. You start being, you start pretending to be somebody you're not. He's got a hold, man. And if you give him a hold, he'll not stop. He'll not stop with that one hold. No, no, no. He's going to come in and he's going to start hurting you. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his mind. What's the, what's the answer? Put on the armor, stay close to Jesus. He's got all the strength you need to handle whatever you're facing. Father, I thank you for giving us uh, encouragement uh, to, be, to be strong in you, to fight the fight of, of faith. God, help us, Lord, to, to be strong in the battle. God, I, I pray for, uh, for victory. Uh, God, we know that the victory does not come through ourselves. It doesn't come through us, um, our intelligence, our, our own strength. God, it, it comes from, from being close to you, being connected to you, being in a relationship with you. So God, help us to keep that right and to keep that healthy. God, help us to recognize the, the attacks and to label them appropriately. God, give us victory in Jesus' name. Amen.